Today on From A to Z, Bowie's Keeps Swinging. Yeah, cat. Welcome to From A to Ziggy. This is the podcast in which we listen to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name is Thomas. And I am Travis. And today we're talking about Boys Keep Swinging from 1979's Lodger. Another kind of uh, issue song. It is. It's a very uh, sarcastic view at machismo and expectations of men and things like that. For, for young men who are maybe not, not aware of the expectations that are put on them by society. This is this is a primer. This will sort of let you know that uh, really you have nothing to worry about, not a thing in the world. Basically, it attacks the idea of, of the patriarchy from two angles, in that it attacks the expectations that it places on men to fit a certain mold of masculinity and machismo, and then it also basically goes right at the privilege, too. Like, when you're a boy, you get all these things, just because. So it's really... It's, a, it's, I don't want to say a feminist anthem, but I guess I just did. It's David Bowie being pretty feminist, which is, you can we needed that. that because there's a few songs we've done before where we've had to pause and be like, wait a minute, is David Bowie sexist? And this kind of takes a little bit of the heat off. Like, this is a pretty feminist song. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of those songs, well, no, one of them was more, was more recent. Like, it, that one came from after oh, this one. Right. Like Blue Jean, right? Well, no, I was thinking of, uh, like, the early, early Bowie songs. When, uh, the earlier ones, yeah. He was definitely yeah. a confused and angry young man. Yes. Taking out his anger on the uh, fairer sex. Yeah. So this is, I guess, like, this is the cleaned up Bowie taking a good, hard look at things. Well, this is from a very serious era in Bowie's career. Before he became the fun, poppy 80s Bowie, he was sort of thinking about some pretty deep, deep, deep Pretty heavy, deep things. <laughs> pretty deep, yeah, heavy pretty deep, things. heavy things. But this one, he, he, I don't know, I feel like Lodger is a more fun album. It is. It, this is kind of, too. so remember way back when we were talking about Bombers, how it kind of had one foot in the Man Who Sold the World, one foot in Hunky Dory. Yeah. Like, this is kind of like a one foot in the late 70s, cleaning up kind of dark, one foot into the fun, bouncy 80s. It's a good transition into Scary Monsters. Yeah. This, of course, comes from the third of the Eno collaborations, which, you know, most of the time you see him lumped into a trilogy, which is kind of a, kind of an after the fact thing. Like, it's not like, you know, Lodger was planned out from the beginning to proceed logically from Heroes in Love, but Eno and Bowie were still making music together. And so this one sort of goes into that whole thing. I think the trilogy thing was sort of made to sort of sell Lodger as continuing on from the brilliant Mm -hmm. albums that came before it. It doesn't really have that much to unify the three of them together. It's not really no, it's, that much like them, but it's it's still got some like little some weird. It's the two of them experimental elements to it, but yeah, it's not. Yeah, still experimenting and making music together, but, but it's not also throwing you a full side of just ambient instrumental music. It's all pretty digestible, weird but digestible pop. Yeah, experimental pop. So this one is about uh, it's about male privilege but in an ironic way. It's another one of those songs where Bowie kind of attacks an idea, like you were saying, but does it by saying exactly what the people he's painting in a bad light would say it. So don't trust a thing that comes out of this man's mouth. Yes. This is a song that has one of my favorite lyrics in it. It has to do with cherries. I think it's a wonderfully vulgar and perfect and appropriate and true uh, statement of one's place in life if one happens to be a certain gender. Yeah. 
it's just so it's so dirty and gross and perfect and sexist. Yeah, it's pretty uh, it's pretty raunchy. Like the first time I heard of it, I had to do a little double take. Like, yeah, all right, he did just say that. Yeah. I also got I like how the chorus has like a doo-wop kind of feel to it. It does. It's got that back the backing scene. Yeah. And and for a time like that was kind of like a macho kind of music, which is odd to think about when you listen to it now. But like it kind of was. It was basically about you know the guys who get the names and things like that. So in the seventies, like the doo-wop, are you saying? But yeah, that's kind of a macho. Like it when like in the fifties, it kind of was. Like in the fifties, it was. Don't think of like Grease era. And this is a throwback to that. Yeah. So it's kind of it's it's almost shooting it with its own weapon. Like I'm going to use this music that was the tool, so to speak, of that lifestyle. And I'm going to use it to take the piss out of that lifestyle. Right. Yeah, so Lodger gets put into uh, the context of the new wave movement, punk music, the sound that was coming around at the time. A lot of it was influenced by Bowie, and Bowie was kind of looking at it. But this is, this is kind of a Bowie-slash-new-wave take on this kind of lo-fi garage-style music. So there's a famous switch up that goes on in this song where all of the musicians change instruments. This was uh, prompted by one of Brian Eno's cards, the Oblique Strategy cards. These all, all these cards had different titles. This one was called, what was it? Unqualified Players. So everybody changes instruments. So they had Carlos Alomar, instead of guitars, he was playing drums. Dennis Davis went from drums to bass, and I think George Murray was on keyboard. Alomar did pretty good on the drums. Yeah. It, and it, the whole thing sounds much, you know, it, 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 effect, it works. Like it has the intended effect of making it less polished. Apparently David, uh, Dennis Davis didn't play the bass so well and had to be overdubbed by Tony Visconti later on. And so, and he played the bass guitar kind of like he did on The Madness of the World. It's really beefy. Appropriately masculine kind of runs up the neck of the bass what else? There's there's a guitar, there's a violin. Simon House on violin. He's doing doing this sort of like punk punk violin. Yeah, I like that. That's a thing that they utilized for this uh, this era. Remember that was a thing that we encountered on Beauty and the Beast too, where it's instead of synthesizers, it's electric violin. Yeah, and right. It just I mean, gives it a live. way neater feel. Yeah, the electric violin, so un, kind of an underused sound. Yeah, a nice texture. There was another oblique strategy employed on this song. There was the one, the one where Brian Eno writes down his favorite chords on the blackboard, and he takes, like a schoolmaster, he takes the stick and points at them. And while the, the instructions for the rhythm section were, play something funky, and then the instructions for Carlos Alomar, and no, no, because Alomar was on drums now. Or maybe this was in rehearsals. Yeah, I think it was, this, was in, this was before they split up and made, made the different, different assignments. So... Carlos, this story comes from Carlos Alomar. He talks about how Brian Eno was pointing at the blackboard and he was telling them to play these chords you know, in this sequence and they were doing it and Carlos Alomar gets this perplexed look on his face and he just says, I had to stop it because this was BS. And so they, they stopped, but they kept that chord progression and they used it in two songs on Logic. So there's this song and then there's Fantastic Voyage. Not the Kudos song. I keep. I always want to think it's not that. That's not the title of it because it can't be the Kudos song. <laughs> but they had the same chord progression. 
So hearing that story, you'd think it's a weird, it's this unusual set of chords that you don't think would match, but really they, it's a pretty standard thing. It's like yeah. E, E, A, it's like, you know, pretty standard. It works okay. It's, you know, it doesn't sound experimental. No, it's, it's pretty, pretty basic. basic. That's kind of, that's, that's kind of the beauty of the song, but it's experimentally basic at the same time. It's very accessible. It is. It's digestible. Yeah, even, you know, despite having that really, that someone did a weird ride, just dated up with a friggin' spoon, a solo at the end where it's just chaos, and it's like pre-Sonic Youth Nirvana kind of guitar noise, that going on, and the uh, violins and everything, like all this other weird stuff going on. But it's just like this really catchy pop song with a big chorus. And- Which, uh, so yeah, speaking of that solo at the end, Adrian Bowie reappears. Bowie said he wrote this with Adrian Ballou in mind. He said, I wrote this for you in the spirit of youth, which not not clear what that means. Ballou was saying that maybe it meant that Bowie saw him as a naive person who just enjoyed life. Maybe, maybe he saw him as a uh, masculine guitar player, virtuoso. You know, that sounds like the end of the song. Yeah. So I watched a live video of it from around that era. And watching Blue do the solo, it really, it, it feels like walking someone from the 90s. It was just like really killing the feedback. It's just like jumping into the amp pretty much. Yeah, just, yeah he did he nails, basically. Blue famous for being part of, was it King Crimson? I don't know enough about rock music. That's why I have a podcast about it. Yeah. Oh, I remember, so yeah, the first time I saw Adrian Blue was on... Um, this show on Nickelodeon where he was promoting the single that he came out with uh, with his daughter. I think it was called Daddy Daddy. There's the video for it. They showed the video for it. They're like running around in cartoon worlds. It was like Cadillac. That's all I remember because it was so fun and cartooning. All right, yeah. So he played with King Crimson, Talking Heads, right. and some stuff with David Byrne, Solo, Tom Tom Club. So basically any incarnation of Talking Heads. <laughs> um, Tori Amos. Nine Inch Nails, Frank Zappa, blah, blah, blah. all pretty serious artists. And David Bowie. And David Bowie, of course. Who, of course, is a, is a ridiculous and silly man. Yeah. Who comes out with ridiculous and silly songs like this. Um, and novelty songs. Novelty songs. Fun novelty songs that make you think. So speaking of, I guess, ridiculousness, we should talk about that one ridiculous sketch video. Which one? From that... Kenny Everett? Kenny the, Everett. Is that a variety show? Basically, like it's, yeah, a variety sketch show. So it's this clip on YouTube, and it starts off with someone with an egg for a face that basically looks like every troll on Twitter who doesn't have a real biopic, introing David Bowie, and then, oh my god, he gets hit with a spoon and breaks the egg. Ah! And then the band's not there. There's some really ridiculous dancing. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of jazz hands, a lot of silly leg kicks. Yeah, he like keeps his arm, he, he moves his arms like a T-Rex. He's yeah. Like, he's this, and he also has a weird leg move. It's so hypnotic. He's like, he's flailing all his extremities yeah. in this really bizarre way. And then at the end, it's this character. Um, oh, yeah, what was he called? This guy comes out looking kind of like, who's the guy, with, the cartoon guy with the mustache, the bowler hat? Oh, um. Who am I, I don't even know what I'm thinking about. Is it a comic strip or is it a cartoon? I mean, I'm picturing the Monopoly map, but I know it's not the Monopoly map. I, I know who you're talking about. I can yeah. like picture it. He's like short. He, he's, he's the guy that comes out and bothers that penguin, the cartoon penguin. No, not the Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Tennessee Tuxedo? Yeah. Is that him? I haven't seen Tennessee Tuxedo in probably oh, 25 plus years. If, if pressed, I could probably sing the theme song still. 
Okay, yeah, it's a character that Kenny ever plays. So it's his name is Angry of Mayfair. He just comes out and I guess his like, name is Angry. Yeah, not to be confused with Kenneth Anger of Satanic Video fame. Angry of Mayfair. Yeah, a guy named Angry. He's from Mayfair. So he starts like yelling at Bowie about how he was in the war and he didn't see him there, and he says he's gonna hit him with his cane, his umbrella, umbrella, his umbrella. Ben says that, that wouldn't be fair because then he'd be having all the fun. He demands Dave Bowie hit him with this violin, which, by the way, the violin was thrown to him in the middle of the song. He stops, so it throws him a violin. And finishes his song, and then Angry comes out. Angry comes out, starts berating him. And then. On the rooftop. Yeah. All this happens on a rooftop. And then Bowie takes violin and smashes it on the ledge like a beer bottle and goes to hit him with that, but then also is going after him with the bow. And tries to smash it, it doesn't break first. Oh, right. It's like every time, every time I've tried to get into a bar fight and broken a, tried to break a beer bottle, it just won't smash. It's always, it's always the way. Yeah. That glass is hard. It is. It's hard to... No. It's too early. It is too early. Ah, ah. Save that one. <laughs> okay. That one. Those, those, those beer bottles just won't crack. They will not crack. Because there were a couple of violent brawlers. I should here. probably I should probably stop drinking beer out of cans at bars. So he starts chasing this dude around, and it's revealed that his suit is only half a suit. It's basically like a hospital gown. He's wearing like women's lingerie under it because British comedy in the seventies. It's basically everything is basically just written around a dude ending up in lingerie. Like that's the starting point in every writing room in every seventies British comedy. Is all right. So he's gonna end up in lingerie. How are we gonna get there? Go. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird, that was bizarre video. Then I found another one too, from uh, like '95, and it's a lot heavier. I can't remember if it was this or another song. I was watching something from that era, and during the instrumental section, Bowie just goes sort of towards the back of the stage and just smokes a cigarette like a badass. Yeah, I, I think it was this one where he's doing back that. back in '95, kids. Yeah, this was this was the cool thing to do. Actually, I think every single performance I watched of him doing this song, he was smoking a butt during that. <laughs> he smokes a lot. He did smoke a lot. But he did look really cool doing it. I'm not going to pretend he didn't. Like, well, he, I'm not endorsing smoking. Quitting smoking was one of the best things I've ever done. But David Bowie's a walking cigarette commercial. I mean, like, he, look cool he looks anything. so freaking cool. He, he looks cool dancing like a velociraptor. <laughs> he does. On the rooftop. So I don't know if it says, like, it probably doesn't say a ton about cigarettes. <laughs> he, look, he does literally look cool dancing like a velociraptor. He just looks so cool, like just totally, like kind of indifferent to the songs, like smoking a cigarette and dancing like a raptor. I mean, he looked cool enough that someone just threw him a violin. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if anybody ever did that on stage, like when he was performing at a concert, just like throwing random instruments. God, I hope so. He, he catches it and starts playing it, throwing a tuba. <laughs> it also helps. Boys keep swinging. Any covers, alternate um, versions? There are some pretty good covers of this song. So there was a cover by Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles, which I thought didn't sound very much like I expected it to. It was a lot more electronic and, and dance, like heavy dance pop. Hmm. I was expecting, like, it's kind of like jangly, you know, bouncy, 80s rock pop. Bangly. Bangly. I expected it to be bangly. For, to, to get from point A to point B much quicker, I expected it to be a Bangles too. Hmm. And then there was uh, a cover by Duran Duran, which 
sounds exactly like you would expect. Oh, um, okay. But like later era Duran Duran, so it's, it's a little bit more electronic. Like uh, Come Undone? Yeah. Like with the drum machine yeah. and female vocals. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, which actually, I wasn't as familiar with that one, but when I turned it on, my girlfriend was like, oh yeah, I, I know this song. I actually didn't realize this was David Bowie's song. She knew the Duran Duran version much, much better. And then there was a bunch that I didn't really recognize the name of the bands. I do need to go back and listen to uh, this Blur song, M-O-R, that supposedly heavily borrowed from the rhythm and the harmonic structures to the point that they actually did have to credit the song to Blur, Bowie, and Eno. M-O-R, no, no connection to the Hanson. Isn't Hanson's album called M-O-R? <laughs> I don't remember. Like the popular one? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe I'm just thinking of them as a middle-of-the-road pop band. I mean, from what I've gathered, I haven't really listened to any of their later stuff, but I heard they've matured into kind of just pretty decent power pop band. They're still they're still around. They're yeah. still touring. They still sit. They still sing Mbop at shows, <laughs> but they've had to shift it down <laughs> in key by about yeah. three or four three or four uh, semitones. I mean, those guys—they're—they're they're getting up there in their thirties. Like those guys are my age. Yeah, yeah. I always read these reviews that every time they come out of the album, they like get good reviews of Rolling Stone, which I guess is kind of not the best metric. Um, you heard it here first. Yeah, you can't always trust Rolling Stone. Breaking, and I'm always tempted to go listen to it. But I'm like, when someone walks in and catches me singing Hanson, and even though like everything tells me I probably would like their new stuff because I do really like power pop. I can't bring myself to take that first step, but I know it's going to happen someday. No, um, this is uh, this is the Bowie podcast, not the Morrissey podcast. <laughs> um, always keep swinging. Always keep swinging. Anything else about this song? We it was a single. It was a lead single from Lodger. Of course, he played it on Saturday Night Live. Easily one of the most bizarre SNL performances I've ever seen. With the puppet, with the puppet, where it's just. Bowie's giant disembodied head dancing on a puppet. Uh, okay, so his head is part of the puppet. The puppet is dancing rather strangely for the whole song. And then there's a nice little surprise at the end. Yeah. A little peekaboo from a noisemaker. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got, he's got this noisemaker in his pants, and at the end of the song, he just starts like jumping up out of his pants. I guess anytime anything's jumping out of the pants, it's in suggestive nature. It's just kind of inherent, isn't it? And apparently the, the censors totally missed it. So when I was reading, in the original broadcast, so they did blank out both the uh, Life's a Pop of the Cherry and When You're a Boy of the Boys Will Check You Out. But I guess on the later version that we found on the internet, they only take out the When You're a Boy, Other Boys Will Check You Out huh. line. Okay, so it was both of those lines. Because it, 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 seemed, it seemed odd that they would leave the cherry thing in, but take out the Other Boys Will yeah. Check You Out. But yeah, the we saw it was only the one, which was just so epic. So appropriate, because, of course, they leave in line, kind of sexist towards women line. But not... They, they blank out the line. Not the one that's that's got gay... That could imply the gay stuff, yeah. Inappropriately... It was it was a double standard within a song that kind of... Right. Takes apart some double standards. So, anything else we should say about Boys Keep Singing? So this is, this is another one of those really meaty songs. There's a lot of stuff to this song. Well, of course, there's always there's always the Facebook page. There's always the this Facebook discussion. page. So, uh, yeah, what did you think of? Uh, so I wasn't as familiar with this song. Um, 
This song is awesome. It is amazing. It's, it builds your headphones. It's catchy as hell. It's, it's got that nice build. And uh, lyrics totally make you think because I it resonated. Sometimes I do kind of have like oh, these expectations of things a man should do because I am not the breadwinner in my family at all. She she's the the major breadwinner, and I do the cooking and the cleaning and everything. Like we we totally throw in the whole general. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It'd be I would be foolish to even pretend that that's not the case, and that's totally fine with me. Hooray, modern love. You, you, um, and you wear the uh, the lingerie with the split back. I wear. The, I wear. I'm basically living in English comedy. Yeah. So yeah, this song totally resonates with me on that level. So I I would give this a solid four and a half broken patriarchal expectations. Um, I would echo the same general sentiment. I have always liked the song. I don't think I ever like. I think listening to this song as an early 20, late teen, was probably the first time I actually sort of recognized privilege. I started to challenge, come to realize that it's, you know, a lot of things are just given to you when you have certain, basically when you're born with certain qualities. It's like this thing that Louis C.K. said where he's like, basically, if you're a white man, you can get a new time machine and you can go anywhere and you're fine. And it's important to kind of have those moments of realizing it because if you think about it there really is like it's the opposite basically like if you're a woman you can't really go anywhere and not have it suck on some level like that is like if you think about it really the only class of people that no matter where they go there's a subset that hates them like you get any kind of like ethnic minority at least there's kind of like areas like if you're of Mexican descent and you're in America there's a lot of people who will make your life suck but if you're a Mexican and you're in Mexico it's so a kind of level playing field. Hmm. And you can say that about basically any kind of ethnicity that comes to America. Like, they have their own home base. But it pretty much sucks for a woman everywhere. Yeah. But it's just important to recognize that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so this was an eye-opener for me as a young man, as a boy. I have always loved this song. And the, the vulgar, that one vulgar line is really what sells it to me. So I give this one five... Uh, what did you call it? Smashed, I, don't even, I don't even remember. Smashed patriarchal expectations. Yeah, that sounds like it's in there. Five smashed violins. Five smashed. Five bowler hats. Yes. All of those things. Well, thank you for joining me, Travis. Yes. Uh, oh, speaking of breaking bottles in bar fights, we were just talking about that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember. Uh, yeah. The next episode is going to be breaking glass. Because if the boys keep swinging, eventually they're going to break some glass. Swinging their arms just all over the place. I'm going to go like this, and if you walk into it, it's your fault. (laughs) Um, I'm sure there's someone who's listening who watches enough Simpsons that's going to be able to picture exactly what I'm doing. Oh, yeah, no, I won't. So, yeah, until Friday, I am Thomas. I'm Thomas. It's true. They got a